So today we're going to talk about Georgia O'Keeffe. When was the first time you ever heard about her? I don't know. She's one of those ones you hear about early. Like, you know, when you don't know about any artists, you kind of see her work. It's something that, like, even, like, an old grandma kind of appreciates. Because you know, it's flowers, you know? <laughs> yeah. And the feminist millennial. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of, she's someone who I think, well, her work is good and it's accessible. And so you put those two things together and she reaches just about every audience. Mm -hmm. I spent my childhood summers in Albuquerque mm. and my mom loved George O'Keefe. And I remember we went to the George O'Keefe Museum in Santa Fe and my mom bought all of these prints. So we have several O'Keefe prints throughout my childhood home. So I grew up with Georgia. Yeah, I don't think I knew her that well until, I don't know, maybe more recently. But I really like it. I think it's And why cool. do you personally like it? Because she takes something that's really sweet and plain and pleasant. And she kind of puts a, a mischievous or kind of like a dark spin on it. But it's also just, just like simple modernism too. So I like all that. You know, where she takes flowers and she makes them into vaginas. And then she takes like old bones and makes them look like flowers, you know? And so I just like that. I like the duality of her work where it's not so, um, it can be interpreted both positively and negatively, which I really like. Mm -hmm. I don't like a lot of landscape paintings, but I love hers. And yeah, I don't true. know why, like I can't explain it. Yeah, I wonder what that is. I guess the landscape she picks, she does generally like really barren. And it's not super detailed, too. So it's a little bit more... It's not super textured. Like, maybe it's more abstract landscapes. Yeah, but there's so many people out there who do these, like, goopy oil paintings of, like, the Grand Canyon or something. And usually they're, they're not good. Or at least they're not anything like Georgia O'Keeffe's work. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to put my finger on it. But it definitely it feels like those desert hills that she does has this exact same abstract quality that like the folds of a flower has or mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I grew up with her paintings and um, appreciating her work. And then as I've been in the women's health world, yeah, um, I've taken a new appreciation for her style. Oh, yeah. Like it's very much... Um, she's kind of the... The, the godmother of feminist artists. You know, she was before Frida Kahlo. She was bef way before Judy Chicago. She was, she was, I can't think of anyone before her that really put femininity on the map in such a way where she excelled, like she blew everyone else out of the water mm -hmm. as far as her style goes. Yeah, and for that reason, I love her. <laughs> she, like, it's like, my idols, Georgia O'Keeffe and Jane Goodall. Yeah, yeah. Both <laughs> badass, definitely. Yeah, and I still look to them for style inspiration, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. She's she Georgia O'Keeffe has a whole exhibit. There's a whole exhibit of Georgia O'Keeffe's outfits. Because, mm -hmm. like, her home and... I don't know too much about her home in New York or wherever it was. But mm -hmm. her home in New Mexico on the Ghost Ranch was just 
so styled out. She had some really cool um, furniture pieces and really interesting. Yeah, maybe when we move to New Mexico, we'll try to take inspiration from her Yeah, sure. decor. Sure, yeah, mm. she did good stuff. Well, so she was born in 1887. Mm-hmm. When was Van Gogh born? Uh, Here, let me ask. He was, well, he'd made artwork in the 1880s. 1853. Right, so Van Gogh was making his paintings like only within a small window like a yeah. few years uh most of his work and that was in like the 1880s yeah. so that shows you you know how old-timey we think of van gogh as being yeah that's so crazy like i think of i think of van gogh as being like definitely like a long ago artist mm -hmm. and i think of george o'keefe as being a very recent artist but yeah vincent van gogh was born in 1853 and george o'keefe was born in 1887 crazy how it's only like 34 years after yeah it shows you how much the art world has changed i mean that makes really it really puts into perspective how powerful o'keefe's work was at the time for example mark rothko would be many years later when he would be prominent as um picasso was before her you know but um the abstract artists i mean there was a handful of like really intellectual type of city dwelling abstract artists but i don't think there was anyone who really captured what i consider to be kind of like the raw american-ness in a, in a modern abstract way mm. like o'keefe did mm -hmm. um so yeah she was born when did you say in the in the 1880s yep late and, 1880s and guess what what you're just like her me Yes, because she was one of seven children. Oh, wow. Yeah. Must have been rough. <laughs> she grew up on a farm in Wisconsin, and her first art lessons were from a local watercolorist. Hmm. Did you know that? No, I had yeah, no idea. Yeah, her name was Sarah Mann. She moves around a few times in her childhood, but she continues to have a passion for art. And she's even the editor of the school yearbook her senior year in high school. Oh, wow. I yeah. didn't know that. And then in 1905, after high school, she studies at the Art Institute of Chicago. And then two years later, she attends the Art Students League in New York. Yeah, um, I remember seeing some of her early work. And um, obviously, it wasn't like groundbreaking or anything like that. But from day one, she was pretty good. Um, she was a skillful artist. Mm -hmm. um, did you see that work? I think it's called like Dead Rabbit and a, no. and a Tin Can or something like that. Oh, is, I don't, it, is I don't that know. literally what it is? Yeah, it's literally like, I'm, it's not called Dead Rabbit and a Tin Can. But, <laughs> but it's Dead Rabbit and some other thing, whatever, yeah. and a brass bucket. I don't know what the freak <laughs> it is. But it's just this painting of a dead rabbit. And I just thought like, oh, hey, she's always been uh, doing basically still lives that yeah. kind of have like a little bit of like a dark side to them. Although, as we'll discuss later, she says that none of her work is actually about death. It's always usually just about, you know, the form. And anyway, I'll get into that later. Mm -hmm. But that was a piece where she won some awards for mm -hmm. that painting. And uh, it was also kind of like, she's like, okay, I've done it. I have created a conventionally beautiful, skillful painting in the traditional sense. And so I think from that point, it was kind of like a catalyst where she had kind of like the confidence to say, okay, I'm going to move on to more experimental work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in, in 1912, 
she took a drawing class at the University of Virginia and her teacher was Alan Bement and he used a lot of the same art philosophies and ideas as his mentor, Arthur Wesley Dow. So those are two of the influences that I would like to maybe start with. Yeah, their work is um, minimalist, organic, cropped, some things that O'Keeffe's work is generally known for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what else do you want to say about their work? And Not much. Um, I, I was reading an essay or something somewhere where someone was relating to George O'Keeffe's work and his work as both being either intentionally or absentmindedly attempting to achieve the philosophy of Zen mm. because of the, uh, the finding the bare minimum, the essence of an idea or an object or an image you know, kind of simplification, grace, you know, and so you see that in both their work. Yeah. Very zen. Alan was Georgia's mentor, and then both of their mentors was Arthur Wesley Dow. Um, And he was born in 1922, and he also studied art in Paris, and then started out doing, designing posters for the Journal of Modern Art, and for an exhibition of Japanese prints. After that, he goes back to the United States and teaches at Pratt Institute from 1896 to 1903, and then at the New York Art Students League, which Georgia also attended. And so here is some of his work, The Hill Field, The Lotus. So I see, what what do you, how do you think? The Ipswich Marshes. That yeah, really nineteen fourteen. Cool I love that one. The colors. Yes. But do you think? Do you see any of like Georgia's work reflecting this work? Of- uh, that's a good question. It wouldn't occur to me unless, of course, the question was brought to my attention. They're really good compositions. They're really. They're not. They're just not. They're not like high energy. Yeah. That's the thing. Is like a lot of painters who do landscapes it's very much like trying to blow you away high energy type of things but these ones are just images that can really just sit with you seems like they'd be easy to live with Mm -hmm. um but not usually i would say that is almost like an insult but i really mean it as a compliment yeah after college georgia teaches art in texas which I didn't know that she was an art teacher in Tejas, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, during the school year of 1912, and then the next summer she works as Bemmons' assistant at the University of Virginia. Who's assistant? Sorry, Alan Bemmons. Oh, that right, was her right. teacher. Yeah, and then she returns to Texas to teach art for another school year, and then moves to South Carolina and teaches art at Columbia College. So I didn't realize that she. Spent several school years teaching art. I know. Look at that. Uh, a college teacher who didn't sell out and just <laughs> give up on their dreams. That's always good to see. Yeah. <laughs> Inspirational. And, and around that time when she was in South Carolina, she really experiments with abstract charcoal drawings. And she mails some of them to a friend in New York City who shows them to an art dealer and photographer who... Dun, dun, dun. Alfred Stieglitz? Yes. Spoiler alert. Later becomes her husband. Yeah, that dog. Yeah. And and so he really likes her charcoal drawings. What else does he like? <laughs> he likes what he sees. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he's the first one to show her work 
in an exhibit in 1917. I don't know if this is the same show, but it may be a show where they show their work together. Mm. Do you know? It's probably a different show. I'm not sure. I don't have the name of that first show. Let me see if I have a date. But he says this about her work, that it's the purest, finest, sincerest thing that has entered his gallery in a long while. Yeah, that's true. There's a real sincerity in her work. Mm -hmm. It's not pretentious. It's not trying to not trying to play the game of the art world or anything like that. It's, yeah. it's just um, undeniably good, I think. Mm -hmm. So maybe we talk a little bit about Alfred Steiglitz because he plays an enormous role in bringing Georgia's work to the world. Yes, so he's an art dealer. Uh, was he also a teacher or something like well, that? Well, he has a really interesting background, actually. Okay, let's hear it. So he goes to Germany and becomes an engineer. Really? Yeah, and then he returns to the U.S. and pours his soul into photography. And so he shows George's work in 1917 in his own gallery space that he has. And then he arranges for Georgia to move into a studio apartment that his niece was not using. And I read somewhere that he actually had his wife at the time go live with Georgia in this apartment, which is weird. That is very odd. Yeah. And in an interview one time, Georgia was asked to talk about what New York City was like when she lived there. And I thought this would be interesting to read. <laughs> she said, when I was there, there were sheep in the park. There were peacocks. <laughs> and he had a friend who wanted the feathers, so he was helping collect the feathers, and the policemen caught them, and I think they were shut up for a little time for taking feathers out of the peacock's tails. They didn't have... This is what New York was like. <laughs> New York <laughs> City? She said, they didn't have peacocks there for a long time. They had sheep there at one time. Man. They wore those out. As far as I know, there isn't anything to wear now. Well, that was a weird time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, New York anyway. changed pretty quick, yo. Yeah. Soon after Georgia moves to New York, Steiglitz begins photographing her. Yeah, I don't know if it's Steiglitz or Stieglitz, but let's just run with both of them. It's or okay. Why don't we just say Alfred? Whatever. Okay. So soon after moving to New York, Alfred begins taking pictures of Georgia, right. photographing her body. Yeah, some uh, risque. Yeah. And then in, in 1921, 45 of these photographs are in an exhibit at the Anderson Galleries. And it was really controversial because several of the photographs were nudes. That's got to be interesting showing... Um, well, there you go. That's just Sophie's right now showing me a nice picture of O'Keefe just really just grabbing her boobie. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what's interesting is like O'Keefe is showing her work alongside a bunch of pictures pictures of her topless that's got to be really weird imagine yeah. imagine like going to the opening and like no trying... i don't think there are pictures of her work yeah yeah yeah. there was there was which which date was this this was 1921 1921 45 of the photographs were in an exhibit there was her work was in the same exhibit really so she was there you know probably be like trying to sell her paintings while wow, there's a bunch of topless pictures of her. And I mean, obviously that's that's not too crazy in the art world, but I'm just like imagining Well, like, hey, it probably helped herself. <laughs> I know, right? You're just like, uh, hi. I mean, uh, she's pretty. I, uh, her I eyebrows like your, are crazy, but I like they make mine look good. I, 
And this is this is um here's a couple photographs of Alfred. Yeah, he's all right, man. Maybe I don't the think fact, it's anything. Yeah, I think maybe the phenomenal. fact that uh, he seems to really know how this type of thing works. You know, he yeah. goes to New York, he opens up a, a gallery, he gets a bunch of topless pictures of uh, of you know uh, promising artists. Mm-hmm. He knows how to work the system. <laughs> yeah. It's just a joke, people, okay? We know Stieglitz is actually considered, you know, incredibly important to photographic history. He's the father of modern photography. Yeah, his work is super great. But it is true that I really don't really care. (laughs) He's actually the photographer of Marcel Duchamp's fountain, if I'm not mistaken. Whoa. So, in 1923, two years after that photography exhibit, Stieglitz opens an exhibition of over 100 works of George's. And it's titled, Alfred Steiglitz Presents 100 Pictures, Oils, Watercolors, Pastels, Drawing by George O'Keefe American. Yo, that's crazy. A hundred paintings? Yeah. Think like, when you, when you have one? a show, it's like maybe ten. Okay, it's more than ten sometimes. Okay, it depends on the show. But, but still, a I mean, hundred is like, way more than... Like, you make some big pieces, and yeah. so did she. Yeah, a hundred paintings, that's wild, man. Yeah. Way to go. And then in, in, there's another exhibit a year later in 1924. And in that year, Steiglitz's divorce is finalized in September. Aww, and only two yeah. months later, he and O'Keefe move in together. And then a month later, get married on December 11th in New Jersey. Dang, bro. Mm-hmm. Started with those nudes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and a year after they're married, there's another exhibit at the Anderson Galleries, and this is the first time that O'Keeffe's large flower paintings are shown. In the next three, there's like, she has a show every single year, like 1926, 1927, and then in 1928, six of her lily paintings, they're sold for $25,000. Yo, 25000 back then? For six of Georgia's lilies. Lily paintings. And that's in the 2026? 20, 28. Uh, well, in uh, this is jumping up a little bit. Uh-huh. But in 1934, the Metropolitan Museum of Art actually purchased some of her paintings. Oh, wow. So that's pretty wild to think, you yeah. know, because the Met, you think of like, when I think of the Met, I think of like ancient Egyptian art and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So the fact that they're like, this woman is a part of history now. That's pretty uh, pretty awesome. Yeah. So her first big sell mm. was in 1928. That's when she's like on the map officially. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think that Georgia was influenced by Alfred Steiglitz? You know, um, she must have been since he's like a, a dealer, you know. Yeah. But, you know, he's a photographer, and she didn't she didn't dabble in that at all. Right. I mean, you can still be influenced by photography. Um, you know, she was really good friends with Ansel Adams as well. Mm-hmm. They actually even traveled together to Yosemite together, and they spent some time in New Mexico together. Mm-hmm. And they also went to Hawaii, maybe actually not at the same time. But I know they both went to Hawaii for mm-hmm. different projects. Mm-hmm. So do you think that Georgia was influenced by Ansel Adams? Yeah, I think so. I think um, both of them understood that there was a vacuum to be filled in truly giving a modern interpretation of the American West. 
Um, of course, that comes a little bit later in her life. In the 30s, that's when she really makes that transition over to to um, making that kind of work in the West, in New Mexico and yeah. whatnot. Yeah, let's let's jump into that. So uh, Steiglitz has an affair four years into his marriage with Georgia O'Keeffe. And around this time, Georgia starts to struggle a little bit with some mental health issues. And she and an artist named Rebecca Strand, they go to Santa Fe. And Mabel Dodge Luhan provides Georgia with a studio. And so it's around 1930 that Georgia begins to spend time in Santa Fe. And on December 13th of 1929, five of her pieces open on display at the MoMA. So her first big sale was in 1928. And then a year later, five of her pieces open on display at the MoMA. Really? That's pretty cool. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, when she really starts to bloom. And that's after years and years of yearly exhibits yeah. at Steiglitz's gallery. Yeah, it's pretty cool, though, that she has, you know, she chips away at, at the, that success over mm-hmm. and over. Um, so Georgia continues to live in New Mexico in the summers and does a little bit of traveling while Steiglitz continues to have yearly shows of her work. And then in 1933, she does... She's admitted to a hospital for struggles with mental health. And then afterwards is when she goes to Bermuda for the first time. She'll go there a few times throughout her life. Um, And then she goes back to New Mexico and New York. And in August 1934, she visits Ghost Ranch for the very first time. And two years later, she spends her first full summer living at the ranch And she travels there for summers the next few years. And then in 1940, she buys the house. Ghost Ranch in New Mexico, that place is immortalized by Georgia O'Keeffe and all the paintings that she did of it. Before she ever arrived in the 1880s, there was paleontologists who were constantly searching for, um, you know, dinosaurs in the area. And there's actually several that had been found in that area and... Later on, I'm not sure when, but maybe in like the 90s or the early 2000s even, um, paleontologists went back to that area and found one of the, a, a crucial fossil of like this nine foot long no way. Um, dinosaur that was, I mean, technically not a dinosaur, but it was technically the ancestor of our, the modern day crocodile. Whoa. Yeah. And um, so the person who who found it decided to name it Ephigia O'Keefier, which means ghost and then O'Keefe. Basically. Whoa! Yeah, so named after George O'Keefe. That's there's so a, cool. There's a dinosaur That's like there. your dream, Joe, to have like a dinosaur named after yeah, you. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I didn't even know that was my dream, but that is the best thing that could happen to someone. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been there, but I'd love to go travel to that place at one point. Yeah. Obviously, it's all heavily inspired by Native American and also, design. Yeah, and also, I think, if I'm not crazy, even some Japanese influence as well. Yeah, and that's because she travels a lot starting like in the 50s, the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Right, that later part of her life. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't think she left the United States until, until then. Well, Bermuda. Oh, but shit. that was, I mean, that was that probably was, in the 30s, but still, yeah. Yeah, 1933. No, you're right. She traveled a little bit. So she buys Ghost Ranch in 1940. Then three years later, she travels to Chicago for her exhibit at the Art Institute of Chicago. 
And then three years later, Steiglitz dies. And so she spends a couple more winters taking care of everything her husband um, left behind. And then in 1949, she permanently moves to New Mexico. <clears throat> yeah, around that same time, the MoMA did their first solo show of female artist. So. Oh, cool. And she was included in that. Well, she, she, was, she was the, yeah, she was the artist. Oh, she was the first female artist to be shown? The first female solo show, yeah. Whoa. So that's pretty crazy. That, yeah. That, it was only <laughs> like the 40, 46. This is this wow. the first time that it's ever happened? Hmm. So af- I, didn't, I didn't realize that Georgia O'Keeffe, she spent mainly her summers in Santa Fe for decades and then permanently moved there in 1949. And then after that time, she travels a lot the following 10 years. She goes to Mexico where she meets Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo. Really? I yes. had no idea. That's yeah. cool. There's got to be some dope pictures out there somewhere of Frida Kahlo and Georgia O'Keeffe. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah. And she also travels to San Francisco, India, the Middle East, Italy, Honolulu, Southeast Asia. Good for her. Yeah. It took uh, her getting out of New York, yeah. know, having a husband. <laughs> yeah, having a freaking mental breakdown because yeah that's like you know whatever but um something interesting since i was talking about ansel adams before Mm -hmm. he okay so when he went to hawaii it was because he was being commissioned by some bank to do a bunch of photographs of hawaii and what they got back instead of like you know oh look at these like beautiful beaches you know because like Mm -hmm. that's what you picture because ansel adams he does let you know the pictures he does of yosemite and New Mexico and places like that. Mm-hmm. It's just like these beautiful, iconic images of nature. Yeah. But Ansel Adams, he's like, okay, you give me the check. I'm going to Hawaii. And <laughs> instead, he ends up photographing like the graveyard of like like a like a Buddhist graveyard Whoa. and like a bunch of pictures of like the the pineapple farm like workers and like the families in their homes. Wow. So it's kind of interesting that it's like a lot of these artists when they're giving when they're being given commercial gigs, I think some of them try to push it as far as they can in doing maybe not what they were expected to do, which George O'Keefe also was given an opportunity by Dole. Dole like the like the f- the pineapple? fruit yeah, like yeah. a fruit company, yeah. Dole pineapples. She or was is it Dole bananas. Uh, banana. Probably dull everything. Yeah, but like back then they were known for their pineapples. Uh-huh. But anyway. <laughs> what do you think of dull bananas? <laughs> uh, yeah, they're all right. <laughs> Duct tape one to the wall. Um, she went there and she tried sushi for the first raw fish for the first mm. time. She really enjoyed herself. She spent months there, and all she had to do was paint two paintings, um, and it could be whatever she wants. And That's a good life. Yeah, so um, you'll find some of her like really green hills with waterfalls that she does, which almost look like vaginas, frankly. Those, mm-hmm. I think, a lot of those were painted in Hawaii. Wow. And she ended up painting a not like a cut up golden pineapple, but like the actual pineapple plant itself, which is like this really weird, like silvery. Sh- spiny looking um mm-hmm. plant yeah so anyway both of them ended up spending some time together and both of them ended up uh getting commercial gigs flying out to hawaii so wow hmm. so in 1971 georgia o'keefe loses her central vision and all she has left is her peripheral vision whoa 
And so the year after that, she makes her last unassisted oil painting. But she continues to make art with the help of the next influence I want to talk about, which is the artist Juan Hamilton. Yeah, Juan Hamilton makes some amazing ceramics. Yeah. Just really beautiful, simple ceramics. Mm Mm-hmm. He was born in 1945 in Dallas, Texas, and was trained in pottery at Claremont Graduate School in California. The Smithsonian American Art Museum says this about his work. Hamilton's own work in clay and bronze evolved into sculptural statements characterized by a mysterious, timeless order. Uniform or irregular spheres, ovoid as well as teardrop shapes, Tall monoliths or flattened pebble-like forms, they suggest black rocks worn perfectly smooth over millennia by glaciers or running streams, end quote. Yeah, wow. I love that. Yeah. So beautiful. And it makes me think a lot of O'Keefe's work. Mm-hmm. Because like she said that, oh, these bones, they're not about death, you know? But what's interesting is like they look like, like, like a bone is actually the thing that continues to exist after you know after the body disappears Mm -hmm. so it's almost like a like stones or mountains you know like worn and like with like the same like round uh eroded um you know hills of new mexico yeah you know so you see that same kind of and also like the the fact that bones you can look through the bones Mm -hmm. um is a theme that O'Keefe uses with her doorways and her flowers and things like that, where it's like the flowers, the doorways, they all look like it's like a passageway, Mm -hmm. you know, like um, the vagina can almost be seen as a passageway from like one dimension to another. Right. And, um, you know, these bones where you look through them, it's almost like, you know, those eroded rocks with holes in them that, you know, people, people believe that you could like see something see the supernatural you know through through the 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 natural passageways and stuff like that whoa that's cool yeah and so Juan Hamilton was influenced by adobe buildings and Japanese zen gardens much like yeah George O'Keefe I think that's the coolest combination you know because me me being from the American West obviously that's something that sits with me and then um you know later in life kind of beginning to understand the you know the intense perfection no not the intense perfection the powerful design influence of japan yeah Mm -hmm. so here is one of his pieces yeah really smooth yeah like it says like an eroded stone or like a bone or like a like something very like simple form yeah so i thought i'd maybe talk a little bit about how um, Juan Hamilton got to know George O'Keefe. Yeah, like because I mean I'm sure there, I'm sure there was millions of artists at the time where all they wanted was to yeah. be able to um, receive wisdom from from the, the godmother herself. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it goes back to 1973 when Juan is 27 and he moves from Vermont to New Mexico after a divorce. Hmm. And he shows up at Ghost Ranch with his friend, and he later describes this and says, quote, It was a powerful experience seeing her, meaning George O'Keefe, that first time. 
Right behind her, there was this large, broken Indian pot with a skull inside. A human skull. <laughs> a human skull. I remember thinking, gosh, that's just how I feel. Like a bear skull in a broken pot. Yo, that's End sick. Quote. Yeah. And what's funny is his friend was there to fix a, pl- a plumbing problem at George O'Keefe's ranch. Ah. And Juan was just like hoping for a job. And so he tags along with his friend, mm-hmm. hoping to talk to Georgia. And she was 85 at the time. Dang. And she called this friend later and said, don't ever bring anybody else here again without <laughs> asking me first. I'm not surprised. <laughs> and, and hearing that Juan thinks, so I thought, well, so much for getting to know her. <laughs> I know. Like, that was a risky move. But yeah. But it ended up paying off. Yeah. So eventually, Georgia asked him to just, like, pack a shipping crate. <laughs> and from there, they become really good pals. Yeah, I mean, at that age, she really would need someone else around mm-hmm. to help her if she wants to continue on with what she's doing. Yeah. And Juan later says... Quote, rumors abounded that Georgia and I were secretly married. But Georgia just thought that was funny as could be. She loved it. Right. Because <laughs> he's like this young dude. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's interesting that he was influenced by uh, Adobe Buildings. And Georgia O'Keefe made many Adobe Buildings as her subject matter. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of... This is, you know, this is way, you know... This might as well be 100 years before Andy Warhol. You know, this is way pre-pop art um, where um, people just keep repeating the same image over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so like there's like that Breaking Bad conversation about like the door. It's like, why are you painting this door over and over and over again? You know, because it's these adobe walls with these like passageways or flowers or whatever it may be. Um, The just desert scenes. And... uh, Critics were not so stoked on it at the time. They're like, she's just, she's a factory. She's like a, she's like a image factory. She just keeps printing the same thing out because she knows she can get the big bucks. And mm-hmm. I mean, she could as soon as she, she keeps cranking those out. But um, nowadays, it's like literally having 50 paintings of the exact same thing is like so common. That's like basically what you see at every opening that you go to. But uh, at the time, it you know it felt a little commercial mm-hmm. but uh that being said i'm just saying that like both of them really uh, repetitively took a lot of influence from the scenery around them yeah and here's a picture of juan hamilton with george o'keefe yeah that's great she's like all wrinkly and she's got a cane and gray hair and mm-hmm. he's like Super young with the mustache. She's lived a crazy life, man. Yeah. So they were like best pals. I just love the idea of them like doing, running around together. Yeah. And there was an interview um, of George O'Keefe and Juan Hamilton while they were in New York for the opening of um, the Alfred Steiglitz retrospective at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Uh And... They were asked, or they were, in the interview, the interviewer said, everybody thinks that you don't really like people and that you like to be alone. Is it true? And Georgia says, I get on pretty well with my own company. One moved into my world and little by little he got into things. He knows more about my affairs than I do. 
end quote. Yes, they're really close. That's pretty beautiful. Yeah, and so Juan was Georgia's studio assistant and companion. He introduced her to Clay Potting, and he was her true pal until the end when she passed away in 1986, when she was 98 years old. Dang, bro. In in what year? 86? Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah. She lived a long, rich life. Yeah. It's funny, um, there's this quote that Georgia gave where she says, Men like to put me down as the best woman painter. I think I am one of the best painters. And, yes, uh, I agree with that. Yeah, well. Good for her for yeah. saying that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I mean, she definitely, it's funny because like you read that and you realize like this woman probably had like a big ego like yeah that's true i mean there's probably this whole you know side to her that you don't necessarily like think of as like a like a woman painter of flowers right but it's cool yeah she really paved the way that was too loud (laughs) (laughs) she really paved the way for other artists other women artists and like the feminist movement of course with Judy Chicago in 60s or 70s, made works like The Dinner Table, where she has something like 39 different women who influence history in some certain way. And I think Georgia O'Keeffe made it onto that table. And all the different plates on that table, it's this is like a sculpture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, all- like, it's like dozens of tables yeah. lined up to form a big triangle. Yeah. So it's this beautiful triangular shape, which is lined with dinner plates of 49 or so different influential women who influenced Judy Chicago. Um, George O'Keefe being, being one of those. And not just George O'Keefe being an influence on Judy Chicago in inspiration, but literally the style of feminist art, the whole idea of the vaginal um, form being just as important as any type of like male abstract archetype in the the art history canon. Um, the plates, as I was saying, are sh- basically shaped like these like floral vagina type of uh, shapes. Mm-hmm. And um, really feminine. Yeah, and it's like over the top. Like nowadays, you know, a lot of Judy Chicago's work, I think, kind of like ages, kind of tacky. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks like your standard, like, stuff you'd see on Instagram that you're not so impressed with. Yeah. <laughs> as far as just, like, feminist art. Right. It's just, like, the most cliche feminist art you could imagine. But the thing is, she wrote the book mm-hmm. on feminist art. Mm-hmm. Judy Chicago literally had a, a school, essentially, of other feminist artists who all worked together to create land art and performance pieces and embroidery and basically um, making their mark in Mm -hmm. all these different ways. She used a lot of different mediums, and one thing she focused on was using art forms that are associated with femininity, like needlework. Yeah, that's something, or like even setting the table, or, you know, it's it's like these two things where the woman is setting the table, but it's finally, like, the woman is finally getting a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it's also the ceramics is, is a little bit more of a feminine thing as opposed to being the painter or the sculptor or the land artist or whatever. And uh, Judy Chicago had this huge, what do you call it, like a little bit of a beef with uh, Richard Serra, 
who is this land artist who cut down redwood trees and like stack them on top of each other in a gallery or like create these giant uh, steel walls, put them in the middle of the sidewalk so people had to walk around them. It's like uh, very like masculine, almost like violent acts. Mm -hmm. that, and then someone like Judy Chicago creates these um, smoke sculptures where she light off these smoke flares mm -hmm. and um, different uh, colors yeah different colors and stuff like I said it's very like uh, it's very like pretty Instagram type of yeah. thing now but back then setting Decades off a smoke ago. yeah mm -hmm. like setting off a smoke flare and photographing it didn't have the same revolutionary it, it, yeah it was revolutionary at the time and it was this idea of like oh the it, this is like fe I'm sending off feminine energy into the atmosphere because it's like when you think of like femininity you think of it more of like an atmosphere and when you think of uh, masculinity in the in the most cliche sense it's very much like a, like a stone you know it's very much like a like a violent um, solid um, earth and when you think of femininity you might think of like a, something that kind of blows away in the wind mm -hmm. you know yeah so I mean you could say like okay well that's kind of insulting to even um, try and categorize femininity in such a way but at the time it was like women are just happy to kind of like introduce their way of uh, expressing themselves yeah it was new in the art world yeah yeah and you know that that's the thing is like a lot of people don't realize how much they owe to george o'keefe as far as influence goes when it comes to painting when it comes to feminist art all those kinds of things have really been uh changed forever because of O'Keefe, I think. Mm -hmm. This is great. George O'Keefe was an amazing American female artist. Amazing artist. Artist. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. She's really inspired a lot of artists since her work. I think that's it. Anything else you want to add, Joe? No, thanks. <laughs>